if we actually believe the gospel, if we are so audacious as to believe Isaiah 9 and Matthew 16 and Matthew 28, then why don't we have the honesty to accept Philippians 4.4 4 and rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I will say rejoice. The man who wrote that was in prison. The people he wrote that to were facing some significant challenges in their cultural moment. Yeah. Sam, what if, what if we so believe the gospel that we rejoice our way through the gates of hell into the deepest places of darkness? Welcome to You're Not Crazy, Gospel Sanity for Young Pastors, part of the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network. Is that right? Yeah. And you are Sam Albury. I, I'm Sam Albury. And who are you again? I am Ray Orland. Good. Good to, good to have you, Ray. <laughs> uh, Ray, we are thinking today about staying... No, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Wait. Hold everything. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what is the best book you've read in the last 10 years and why? There's probably a, a, an objective answer to that if I go away and think about it for a few weeks. But right now, the book that leaps to mind, and it's a recent one, um, and I was telling you about this the other day, Julian Hardiman has written a book called Jesus, Lover of My Soul, uh, looking at the Song of Songs and what it shows us about the, the heart of the bridegroom, um, that we are being pursued and we are desired by... By Christ. He is the lover of our souls. I needed that book, Ray. Sam, what is it about us? Why is it so hard for us to believe that Christ does love us and desire us? I, I think it's because we, so many of us, incline towards self-loathing. Uh-huh. Um, we see the negatives in our lives. Um, we don't necessarily see the God-given, image-bearing glories in our lives. Um, and so it's just easier to think, well, God... I mean, I can sort of half believe the gospel if I turn the gospel into God has found a way to tolerate me yes, and not just wipe me out. I can just about believe that. But the idea that that, that Christ himself loves me, is drawn to me, desires me, pursues me, um, that is so alien to my native way of thinking. And and Julian's book was so refreshing because it it's there in the Bible. It's it's hard to avoid it. Um, <laughs> and you know, for me being being single as well, that added another dimension of urgency to why I needed to hear that message. Mm. Um, because the 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 gospel the world has for me is a gospel of if you're not romantically fulfilled, you are a loser. Mm. Um, and so there's there's voices in our culture saying to me every single day that I'm wasting my life, mm-hmm. um, that I'm a colossal loser. <laughs> so if it's not true that Jesus is actually pursuing me and, and drawing me into a divine romance and an intimacy I will not find anywhere on this planet, I'm not going to make it. Mm. I needed that book so much. So grateful for it. Julian Hardiman, Jesus, lover of my soul. Yeah. That came out uh, in 2021. I mean, it's a new book, isn't it? It is a new book. Yeah, I read it um, just recently. Yeah. Julian is pastor at Eden Baptist Church in Cambridge, England. Yep. Wonderful man. Yep. 
a first-rate guy. He was one of my students at Trinity. He was oh. one of the best students I ever had. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Same question for you, Ray. Okay. Uh, last 10 years, I would say um, J.W. Brady, England, before and after Wesley. Oh, yeah. Came out in, in 1938, 200 years after the conversion of Wesley in 1738. And it's very simple, but it's well-researched. It's a serious yeah. work of, of history. He paints the picture of England before the First Great Awakening. Then, he, secondly, he describes the First Great Awakening in the 1740s. Then he paints the picture of England after this, the First Great Awakening. And what uh, Britain uh, experienced and the American colonies was a culture-wide human upgrade. Hmm. It didn't create heaven on earth. But the culture became more humane yeah. as the gospel saturated the culture with saving power. Hmm. And it really, the book encouraged me, England before and after Wesley, because sometimes I become downhearted. I think that uh, I love my country, but we are in a mess. And, um, and so that book reminded me, God has this, and he can pour out uh, an awakening at any time that would be a culture-wide upgrade and would renew the nation. Jesus is not out uh, to save America. But as he works in his church and through us, the salt of the earth and the light of the world, the, the historic reality is nations have been uh, greatly blessed and more humanized mm. through the impact of the gospel. I saw that in that wonderful book. Yeah, we, we read that together a couple of years ago now. Yeah. And that that book really lifted my spirits because, again, there are so many things to be discouraged about in the Western world. I hadn't realised how bleak things were before Wesley. I knew it wasn't great. I knew England was not a particularly spiritual place, but I had not realised how comprehensively dark it was. And so as as we see many evidences of aspects of Western culture getting darker now, it just actually gets me excited because I think, OK, yes. this is we're in the before section of some book that's still being written. Oh, man. That is so heartening. It leads, it leads to our topic today. Yeah, which is, is staying positive. Um, so many things around us, Ray, are, are encouraging us to be cynical and bitter and angry and disappointed. And there's no shortage of things to fuel those, those emotions. Um, but we're not meant to be people of, of bitterness and cynicism in the Lord. We're meant to be people who are rejoicing in the lord um so the, the question is is how do we how do we stay positive yes and the people this is this podcast is primarily for for pastors the people coming to our churches have every right to look at us and be able to think well here's an honest man this pastor here's he's living real life the way i'm living real life and it looks as though he's found some answers yeah they have every right to look at me and, and have that thought, have warrant yeah. for that thought. So staying positive in a world of darkness and so forth. Okay, I just thought of this um, a few minutes ago, this wonderful quote from Martin Luther. Mm. <laughs> from 1730, he wrote a letter to Philip Melanchthon. Philip Melanchthon was... 1730. I'm sorry, 1530. Thank you. June 27th, 1530, to be exact. And <laughs> um, uh, Melanchthon was a more tenderhearted, sensitive kind of man 
than Martin Luther. Of course, everyone was more sensitive than <laughs> Martin Luther. <laughs> so, so Luther says at one point in his, in his letter to Melanchthon, I pray for you very earnestly, and I am deeply pained that you keep sucking up cares like a leech and thus rendering my prayers vain. Christ knows whether it comes from stupidity or the Holy Spirit. But I, for my part, am not very much troubled about our cause. Indeed, I am much more hopeful than I expected to be. God, who is able to raise the dead, is also able to uphold his cause when it is falling, or to raise it up again when it has fallen, or to move it forward when it is standing. If we are not worthy instruments to accomplish his purpose, he will find others. If we are not strengthened by his promises, where in all the world are the people to whom those promises apply? But more of this another time. After all, my writing this is like pouring water into the sea. <laughs> That's what you really think, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So he was a tough customer. But for the not only the Martin Luthers, but the Philip Melanchthons, the more sensitive-natured mm. uh, pastors of this world. What warrants do we have for optimism? Uh, what uh, resources do we have, Sam? What comes to mind? Yeah, I'm staring at Matthew 16, verse 18, where, where Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's a verse I, I often come back to, because whatever else is going on, in the world around us, Jesus will build his church. And what encourages me about that verse is the church is not a hobby to Jesus. It's not some side project. Uh, you and I have a mutual friend who has has been for a very long time redoing the front of his house. In the little bits and snippets of time, he can he can kind of give to it, and it, it's taking him longer than he, he thought it would. This is not like that. Jesus oh, is, is not doing this on the side of his, his day job. Building the church is Jesus' passion project wow. uh, because the church is his bride. So this is not something he, he can only do for a couple of hours on a Saturday morning in, the, in his garage or something. This is, this is where his heart is. Um, and I'm, I'm ashamed at how, how long it took me to notice this, but when Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I always read that as whatever the he whatever the devil throws at the church, the church will withstand it. Except a gate is not a weapon. <laughs> a gate is a defense. So it's not, you know, we're just going to have to grit our teeth and, and stay there and, and, and we won't, we won't be wiped out by the devil. He is saying the gates of hell won't prevail against us. So in other words, we're meant to be the ones on the offensive here spiritually and that the devil is going to lose property and people to the church that Jesus Christ is building because if he's building it, there's nothing that the devil has that will get in the way of Jesus accomplishing his purposes. Mm. So I, I love that because it, it can often look and feel in the, the little corner of the world that we're familiar with as though things aren't going Jesus' way, but they, yeah. they are. Yes, everything is. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, i.e., everything is going my yeah. way. Yeah. I think we're always in one of two cultural moments. Either we're in a moment when the gospel is surging forward, 
um, as in the first great awakening, mm-hmm. as in the Jesus movement that I saw when I was in my early twenties, or we're in a cultural moment when the Lord is preparing the conditions for the next great gospel surge. Mm. We look at the rise of Islam in our own time. Mm. We look at the politicized, radicalized sexuality of our times. Uh, we look at these various, you know, the the bizarre anti-Christian, uh, but claiming to be Christian nationalism of our time. There are just insanities uh, in our world. And, and we are buffeted by these. We are alarmed by these. We are uh, concerned for people, for souls, mm. for our nation, and so forth. But the, in that moment, what's really happening at the deepest level is God is rearranging social conditions, getting us ready for the next gospel surge. Yeah. So we're always in the midst of gospel advance or we are witnessing God in his sovereignty rearrange things for the next gospel advance. But wherever we are, we have the sacred privilege, I deeply believe, of investing directly. Even in our, in our cultural moment at its worst, we have the sacred privilege of investing directly in the next Great Awakening. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, Isaiah 9, I've mentioned this in a, a previous episode, I think, Um of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There, There is no time when the reign of Jesus is not increasing. And then to, to cap it off, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. <laughs> mm. The Lord of hosts is the Lord of, of all the armies, the Lord of all the, all the power. If he is zealous for this, we don't need to worry. That's right. In Philippians 4.4 4, can be a really irritating verse of scripture, <laughs> really annoying, fingernails on the chalkboard. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Why does that rub me the wrong way? Because in my, there's something about me that likes to complain. Hmm. You'd make a good Englishman. <laughs> We're never happier than we have something to moan about. <laughs> and that verse is challenging my murmuring spirit. Mm. Um, when in, in, in my view, nothing is ever good enough. There's no really solid reason for encouragement. And I should certainly never rejoice my fool head off. I'll only end up looking stupid. That is, why don't I just come out and say, I don't believe the gospel mm. and be honest about it. If we actually believe the gospel, if we are so audacious as to believe Isaiah 9 and Matthew 16 and Matthew 28, and we could come up with a a thousand passages if we had the time right now, then why don't we have the honesty to accept Philippians 4.4 and rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I will say rejoice. The man who wrote that was in prison. The people he wrote that to were facing some significant challenges in their cultural moment. Yeah. Sam, what if, this is a crazy idea, what if we so believe the gospel that we rejoice our way through the gates of hell into the deepest places of darkness where redemption is the most relevant and wonderful? And I wonder if we will get through to those places without rejoicing our way there. Yeah. I think rejoicing is going to be one of the ways that we we penetrate the, the places of darkness. Well, People who are cynical look smart, 
and informed and cool. But they don't look Christian. They don't look happy. So why don't we just humble ourselves and admit that um, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he has all authority in heaven and on earth, then we will just accept him. Maybe we pastors need to accept him first and foremost and just let our hair down and rejoice. Uh, because it says rejoice in the Lord. Yeah. As long as the Lord is the Lord, we have a reason to rejoice. Yeah, if, if Jesus hasn't quit today, yeah. then we're, we're good. Yeah. And kind of putting our foot down and saying, no, I will not rejoice. Because I don't, okay, everything's going your way, but not everything's, everything's going my way, Lord. Way to go, arranging my life, and so forth. When, okay, we all have reasons for tears. Hmm. We all have reasons for sadness. But we never have a reason to reject him hmm. and have an attitude toward him. So maybe, maybe there are some of us pastors right now who need to just sort of get down on our faces before the Lord and, and repent for a sour attitude. Yeah. Some of those verses and, and truths we thought about are, are kind of high altitude truths. Um, another way to stay positive for me is, is much more at a granular level. Um, a few years ago when I was certainly struggling, Ray, you, you sent me a message, uh, which I screenshotted because it, it meant so much to me and come back to it every once in a while, where you you commended to me to see the glory of God in everyday things, colours, faces, tastes, and so on. Mm. And there's an element of that as well, isn't there? Actually, yes. is is seeing and appreciating just the, the low-key, ordinary day-to-day instantiations of, of God's glory. We, we, you know, walking down the street, a stunning tree in all its kind of full glory is to think, actually, yeah, that those can be little tokens to us that there really is a, a good God in charge of the universe, mm -hmm. however much pain we're going through in our immediate moments. Yes. Well, he's not too proud to locate his glory down in the simple things of everyday life. So we shouldn't be above enjoying the display of yeah. that glory. Yeah. Well, taking a walk with a friend, a really great cup of coffee in the morning. As you say, the autumn colors in the trees. Being with a friend. <laughs> we know on this side of COVID-19 how glorious it is yeah. just to be together. The simple presence of a Christian friend. What a gift. The Lord is in this. Yeah. Dare I, dare I say, Ray, the, the gift for some people of a dog. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just can't tell Nixie enough how much I love her. She's, yeah, she's always ready to receive more adoration and spoiling. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Crossway Books has, has benefited all of us, uh, those those of us who are involved in in producing, you're not crazy, and those of us who enjoy listening to it, 
We're, we all owe them a debt of gratitude. Crossway Books does great work. Mm. Sam, what's a title about from Crossway that you're interested in? Yeah, I've got to look this up because I will get it wrong, and it's it's a long title. Um, so a friend of ours, Sam Storms, you've known Sam for many years. Yes, I've, yes. I've met him only a handful of times, but have loved his his ministry, his posture, his disposition. I've read some of his other books and really appreciate um, his ministry. He has a book coming out called a dozen things God did with your sin and three things he'll never do. And from what I know of Sam and from what I see in that title, that's going to be a great book for us to read. Mm. A dozen things God did with your sin and three things he'll never do. And I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that I bet the three things he'll never the, never do are the things I'm most likely to believe. Yes. And the dozen things he has done are going to be the things I'm less likely to believe. So we need that. Yeah. We never outgrow the gospel. No. Yeah. So, and we both feel indebted to Sam. I have known, I've known Sam since the 1970s when we were in seminary together. Sam is one of the best pastor theologians I've ever known. He has a great mind and is a capacious mind, but has a great heart and is a wonderful preacher and pastor. So, uh, here is a book by a significant the- theologian who is also a wise pastor on a vital topic. Whenever you find a great author and a great topic coming together in a book, that book is worth reading. Give us the title one more time, Sam. A Dozen Things God Did With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do. Oh, fascinating. Great. Looking forward to that. Thanks, guys. God bless. You're Not Crazy is a podcast from the Gospel Coalition, hosted by Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry, produced and edited by Andrew Lapara. Check out more podcast shows from TGC at tgc.org forward slash podcasts.